This makes us uncomfortable, a podcast where we talk about things that make us uncomfortable. My name is Candace, I use she, her, and they, them pronouns, and today I have with me... My name is Gino, I use they, them pronouns. My name is Pat, I use he, him pronouns. Pat and Gino, today what makes you uncomfortable? Confrontation. Wow. Do you want... (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to say more? As an introvert, I just don't like it, period. Um, You'll find out why later. It ties in. Wow, we love a tie-in. We do love a tie-in. We love a tease. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, when you asked me that first, I was unprepared. And then I was like, oh, I know what makes me uncomfortable, being unprepared. (laughs) (laughs) I hate being unprepared. I get a lot of anxiety. Like, I'm prepared for what? Just any new situation. Okay. Like, are you the type of person who packs really, really early? I pack early and a lot. Like, I pack a lot before trips. Okay. I, I see that for you. Yeah. I hate it for you, but I oh, see Oh, I hate it for, it for me, too. Okay. Um, today, what makes me uncomfortable... Okay. This is, like, a little story. All-time low, re-recorded Nothing Personal which was my favorite album in middle school. And so I was listening to it, and it's just like, aging is making me uncomfortable (laughs) in general. It's just that, like, I have gone to that album at different points in my life, like, since it's come out, and it's always been weird that this album is just happens to come in sometimes i'm just like wow let me re-listen to my favorite album from middle school. And so it's just weird, because 2020 starting and I haven't processed that that's happening I just know that it's happening you reminded me of something else that makes me uncomfortable middle school <laughs> <laughs> middle school is awful I feel like the listeners deserve to know that you had a scene phase I did have a scene. I just told them I listened to all time right low. you exposed yourself I did expose myself <laughs> don't worry I used to have side things <laughs> <laughs> I had a Jesus phase. I tried phase. to make those. Oh, you did have a Jesus phase. Every time you tell me that, I I get uncomfortable. <laughs> it was a dark time in my life. <laughs> I had Jesus posters on my walls, like of like Bible quotes and stuff. It was just there was a lot happening. It was like Jesus and then the Beatles. That was like my <laughs> I don't know. There was a lot of internalized things happening. Yeah, there was a lot of internalized things happening. But yes, aging makes me uncomfortable. So today, y'all, we have a couple of questions that the people have asked. The first one is, what do you do when you are more accountable for someone than they are for themselves? I have a lot of thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm a cancer, right? So I have a tendency (laughs) to feel the need to take care of other people. And one, I think the first thing you need to do is like address that with yourself Like, why are you being more accountable for this person than they are for themselves? And why maybe you need to learn how to draw healthy boundaries and, you know, figure that out. Like, that requires an internal conversation as well as an external conversation. And I think you should just really tell that person straight up. is like, I am making sure that you are taking care of yourself more than you are. Like, I'm asking you if you've eaten today and I've asked you if you've called the doctor like you're supposed to and I've done these things I've set up these appointments for you and you're not doing that and I can't take care of you because I have to take care of myself like you are not my child or someone that is in my care so you need to like just tell them that that's what's happening as a counterpart I'm a sad so I don't have time for that (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I i when I want to take care of someone or my friends, like, I will do everything I can, but if they're not, like, taking care of themselves, there's nothing I can do. They're, like, their own person. They're, like, they gotta, like, do... I can curse, right? Yeah. Like, they gotta take care of their own shit. Like, sometimes, there's only so much you can do sometimes. Yeah. And it's, like, you have to be as supportive as possible and, like, you know, check in on them, but, like, you can't make them... Like, there's certain things you can't do, you know? Like, you can't, like, make them go to the doctor. And, like, what are you gonna do at that point? Like, you did everything you, you could. Can you, like, go back in time to when Candace was 18 and, like, have that conversation <laughs> with her? I think it would have saved her. A lot of time. A lot of time. Emotional labor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's just kind of like you can't help someone if they're not willing to help themselves. So how far are you willing to stretch yourself yeah. for someone who won't even bend? 
I think the important thing, though, is to tell them. Because maybe they aren't noticing that, or maybe they just need for someone to be real with them. But I think you should just be like, I'm doing more for you than you're doing for you, and that's not correct. Again, confrontation makes me uncomfortable, so I I think cis men do this a lot, especially, like, straight cis men who kind of rely on their wives to do everything. That's how my dad is. And, like, he'll get on me for not going to the dentist, but as soon as he has to go to the doctor, he's like... Uh, I'm, I can't do that. I can't do anything. <laughs> I need assistance. Like, please help me. I'm like, you are a grown man. <laughs> like, I am not... My, your wife does not... You have a phone. You have a, the doctor's number. Like, it is your job. Just, like, go see the doctor. Like, don't make my stepmom do all the work. Yeah. <sighs> so that men do require, like, a lot of work. They're trash. But only because they have a tendency to rely on others to get things done. Which I'm just confused. Like, you have the most access and power a lot of the time in the world, and yet you need other people to do your stuff? Like, let me... What's yeah. going on? What's going on? Do you, I think you need to unpack a little bit. <laughs> unpack that a little bit. But anyway, y'all, take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Please. Check in on And I friends. understand that that's rough, right? Like, right. I'm not saying that it's easy to hold yourself accountable to eating and things. But other people can't do that for you. Right. And I can't do that for you. I'm no longer doing that for people anymore. Mm. <laughs> um, the other question is, who is your favorite Avenger? Can I guess who yours is? Yeah, I don't think you're going to guess correctly, because it's not like... Oh, just guess, just guess. Is it Captain Marvel? Well, like, if we're talking about, like, MCU, then yes. But I'm also mad they're not, like, being explicit that she's gay, like... She definitely is. Like, we all saw it. But if I we're talking about, like... But I'm going to. If we're talking about, like, Avengers, like, like comics and stuff, probably America Chavez. Okay. A gay icon. Like, canonically, a gay yeah. icon. We love to see it. She was born from lesbian space magic. I don't know if you knew. <laughs> I did not, but I'm glad. Like, I that's, like, I'm not even exaggerating. She was born from lesbian space magic. <laughs> and her mom's sacrificed themselves so she could have a better life. I'm like... The gay, energy. <laughs> the gay energy. I would like to change my answer. <laughs> Do you want to see your answer, Gina? <laughs> lesbian space. <laughs> Not even like the character, just, just lesbian, lesbian space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic. That concept specifically is my favorite character. <laughs> um. Okay. So I'm gonna get so much shit for that, and this and this is okay. I really, I have two answers. One, I will tell you the shitty answer first and then go up. Uh, I just really love Captain America. I understand that he is a disaster of a human being and really needs to get it together sometimes. And, like, this whole, like, sacrificing myself and, like, he is trying to hold people more accountable for than they are for themselves. Nah. Literally was about to let Bucky kill him <laughs> just to prove a point. Just to prove a point. Just to try and save him. But I was like, this is not... This ain't it. But I still love him. Mm-hmm. And because he's a very emotional leader, and I am as well. Love Captain America. But I also do love Iron Man and the growth. <laughs> the growth. The growth <laughs> that he experienced. Like, that is my favorite, like, character development plot line and, like, how he really tried. And I really, really love Iron Man. And I'm still not over that that <laughs> I'm not over it and I won't be. I feel like I we don't need to talk that for about... Captain America or Iron Man. That mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate that mm-hmm. because Wait, they what? killed both my guys. Oh yeah, my mans. Well, at least Captain America like got to go spend time with <laughs> Peggy Carter. Yes. Yes, her show was great. I didn't watch it. I'm mad it got canceled. I think I was gonna say I think we need to address the fact that like Ant Man is just like so useless. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love Paul Rudd. I don't. I just think he's just like, I think he's just there. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Did you need two movies of your own? <laughs> no. <laughs> I get it. You can be big and small, but like other people can too. <laughs> I also, um, honorable mention for, uh, Spider-Man. Oh yeah. A short king. A short king. <laughs> I just get trans vibes from him, and I'm like, I think maybe it's just Tom Holland, but I just, his trans energy. Yeah. 
I feel that. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about the concept of social justice. I mentioned a couple episodes before that I feel very uncomfortable using, like, the words social justice and, like, what the hell does that even mean? So, yeah, what do you all think social justice is? I think, I mean, I think as a concept it's gotten really diluted recently just because it's it's kind of used as a... it's been given like a negative twist by like the alt-right and so it's like you know calling people social justice warriors or snowflakes i think it's gotten really like misconstrued i think a lot because i, I think at its heart it just means like like justice for people who have been like done wrong in society which is like a great concept like yeah. wow that's like great but then it's like misconstrued as like this policing of other people right and And, like this agenda to make everyone like quote-unquote politically correct i'm like it's just not it's it's like a complicated issue and it should be like viewed and understood as a complicated thing it's not just like you know you can't say anything anymore like everything's wrong like that's just not that's not what it is and like the way the way it's portrayed as like this this issue that especially like young people are only concerned about is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, oh, you care about it when you're in college and then you grow up and you're an adult and suddenly you're like, realize that it doesn't matter. Like, no, that's not how it works. You don't realize that people deserve less rights because it's not real. Mm-hmm. Like, people always deserve rights. I just never understand how people was like, yeah, I used to be super leftist or whatever when I was in college and then I grew up and I was like, so you stopped giving a fuck about people <laughs> is right. what you're saying to me. Is that you're saying is that your whole life you just like threw it to not giving a fuck about people. What's like you got your security and you're like, alright, I'm done. No. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I think it goes along with like a lot of this time that people are just like, it's impossible so therefore I won't try to do it. Mm. And I feel like that's definitely like one of the things that always knocks people down a peg as they get older and I'm like no you can still be a good person over time just continue like trying I guess yeah be the best way I just I also think it's becoming like a buzzword that can be like yeah used for like woke points I guess and it's like really annoying. woke points like yeah. what Emily. like what else <laughs> like what else do we call I don't know like like, I don't know, organizations saying, like, they care about diversity and inclusivity. I'm like, I mean, I, do you? I don't think you do. Show me the receipts. Show me the receipts. <laughs> like, where are they? I'm like, I would like to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the age, like, how it's things that people do when you're younger, like adults, quote-unquote, um, don't engage in justice and things like that. I think that's so disrespectful to the people who have been doing work for, like, their whole lives, like, Miss Major and, like, all of these people who have been doing activism for, like, as long as they live. Miss Major was someone who was present, a trans woman, black trans woman who was present during the Stonewall riots and is a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, and has been organizing and doing work for, like, the liberation of trans people and sex workers ever since. Ever since. And is still thriving. Yes. How old is she? I don't know. She's she's just older than most trans people I know. And that's, yeah. that's like, she's... Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I do feel like a divide when it comes to, like, younger and older organizing because there's, like, such a difference in what we want. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the biggest... Well, the issue here was also, like, white people in this instance, but when I think of, like, the queer rights movement and, like, the focus on marriage equality and how, like, a lot of older people, like, that was really, really important and a lot of white people, that was, like, really, really important, but, like, young queer trans people of color, queer trans intersex people of color, excuse me, are, like, well, our people are getting, like, killed and stuff and also we need access to hormones and also, like, just basic crimes are happening like there's a million other things that we need to be focused on and y'all are worried about starting this piece of paper that none of us really care about well i i also think that like especially with marriage equality like yes it was important but i also think for like a lot of cis white gay men especially it was like a a step towards um assimilation which was important to them because i feel like in every social movement there's like uh, whether it's age or just like some other barrier there's like a group of people who care about assimilating 
and like other people who just want to not have they want the right to not have to assimilate you yeah know? and that and that happened like with the early like um like the gay liberation movement like before stonewall there's like the mattachine society which was like this society of like mostly gay white men who wanted their focus was um assimilation uh what was it called it was a homophile movement that's what it was called yes and the, the homophile movement was basically like assimilating to straight culture and finding ways to like assimilate and not necessarily not necessarily like hide your queer identity but just like but basically hide your queer identity i guess yeah. like make it like a non-issue for you and other people were like well i can't hide it you know people were like i can't hide the fact that i'm a flamboyant person i'm can't hide the fact that I have all these other marginalized identities. I'm not going to hide them, you yeah. know? And that's what, there was a lot of conflict. And in every, like, step of the, like, queer liberation movement, there's there's been someone who wanted to assimilate and other people who are like, I can't just assimilate. And I don't want to. Right. Even if I could. Right. Yeah. What do you, what are your, like, reactions when you hear the word social justice? I feel like... Kind of along the same vein where it's been kind of used as this trope as, like, I'm aware, I have, like, kind of, I'm educated and therefore I can speak on this subject. And that's where it kind of gets annoying, especially within the context of, like, white and, like, especially within, like, the university systems I've seen a lot of the times, like, regarding Venezuela specifically, like, where people believe that they're, since they're educated on the subject, therefore they have the authority to speak on it and kind of removing the idea of, like, personal experience from a matter and so it has kind of that bad connotation but I feel like it's just more so because of like the people who have embodied it as opposed to like what it actually is supposed to be yeah I feel like not even just the term like that is such a problem within like activism and stuff it's like mm. you think that you like you just see these people who are like on the front lines of certain movements and whatever and like they a lot of times when they're like making mistakes and doing a lot of things they're not what represent the entire movement. I think a lot about, like, the Southern Christian Leadership Council, where, like, which was founded by Martin Luther King and Bayard Rustin and all these people that came from the church that were there to participate in the Civil Rights Movement. And, I don't know, they're very much seen as, like, the face of the Civil Rights Movement. And so that idea of very respectable activism, like, they were always in suits and they were honestly, you know, they were palatable. Mm-hmm. Um palatable to the white moderate and that's a large part of the reason they were successful but I think that there's a lot of you know because they were so peaceful projection on that's what the the movement as a whole looks like and it was just their peaceful protests that were advancing the world but that's just like not true um there was also a lot of protests and riots and things like that like we shit on riots so much but riots have just done good things for our world no yeah they get shit done um have you ever heard of like the movement deaf president now no so in oh i will get the years wrong and my teacher will hate me for this um but gallaudet which is an all deaf the first all deaf um university um they elected they had the first chance, um, I don't want to get the years right, I believe it was in the 60s, I want to say, um, they had their chance to have their first deaf president for the university, and they elected the hearing woman instead, even though the deaf president, like, deaf candidate was way more qualified, and so they had, um, instead of, uh, like, the board ignored all their demands, and they were like, we want a recount, and they just didn't address it, and so all the students on campus decided to shut campus down, started burning tires, like, lighting shit on fire, like, burn this shit to the ground. And within, like, the week, I believe, they did marches and stuff, and they got the board to not only, like, switch to the deaf president, they got, um, all the students were, like, not allowed to be punished according to everything, and then all the teachers were also compensated for their time while they were, like, missing. We love to see it. I just... Sometimes burning shit to the ground really just, like, celebrates the process. Burning shit to the ground, riots were a major part of, um... Every major movement. Every major movement. I was thinking of how you have a 40-hour work week, which is still bullshit. We need smaller work weeks, but it's better than, like, a fucking 60-hour work week. Um... I want to talk more about the word you use, palatability, because now I'm all riled up. Okay. <laughs> I feel like, like, um, when we look at, especially the civil rights movement, we have a, when I say we, I just mean, like, 
Western culture and the people who get to write history books have a tendency to rewrite it so that especially figures like Martin Luther King are palatable and like you'll go on Facebook and you'll see these people posting all these quotes for him about being peaceful and I'm like no 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 like he wasn't just a peaceful person like he didn't go to jail for being peaceful like he he was yeah. like an activist like he like not to not to say peaceful protest isn't like good or worth it like he that's not all he did that's not yeah. what like all the civil rights activists did and um and then like in conjunction with that like Bayard Rustin had a large influence on like the civil rights movement he like had um you had a big influence on Martin Luther King Jr. and he like I do believe the march on Washington wouldn't have happened without He organized him. it. He organized yeah. it. And he was actually I think he was supposed to give a speech at it or he had he had helped write the original speech that Martin Luther King Jr. was supposed to give. But um um but yeah, he was like had a lot of say and I know that there was a lot of civil rights um leaders who didn't want him to be as publicly gay as he was because they were like that's not like going to help with the movement. It's not that they like personally had an issue with it but like they thought that it wasn't going to they were trying to be palatable and like that wasn't palatable in their opinions um i don't think martin luther king jr felt that way though because they were very close they and, were very and close. he actually um the person who took care of his family after he was assassinated was actually this other gay activist kiyoshi kuromiya I know who that is, but I didn't know that he helped to take care of Martin Luther King's family. Right. No one knows because we they like to erase it. They don't want you to know. I'm like, I'm here to like make sure that everyone knows this gay Asian American activist Absolutely. was there in the moment. I need them to know. The people need to know. The people do. Um, and then I had one more thing to say. Um, when I think of like the queer civil queer civil rights movement or the queer liberation movement, um, there was an issue of palatability at every step of the way, even right now. Like, um, when we think of, when we think of feminism, there was this thing, this word, this term that Betty Friedan used, um, in her book. What was it? The feminine, feminine the mystique? mystique? The feminine, feminist? The feminine mystique. The feminine mystique. She, um, cause she was like, women need to be liberated, but you know, lesbians, I don't know, that's a lavender menace. That's what she called it. She called, like, the queer um, section sector of feminism the lavender menace. And so all these angry lesbians were like, you know what? We don't like that. And so they started a, a counter-movement called the, Le the Lavender Menace, which is just the most punk rock thing I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> but then um, some lesbians were being messy, and they were like, trans people? I don't know. I don't know about that. We worked so hard to, like, liberate ourselves from a femininity for these women to, like embrace femininity i don't know about that and so trans people were like you know what we don't like that and so they started their own thing and so it's like this constant and even now there's there's trans people who are like non-binary i don't know about that and i'm yeah. like you need to stop <laughs> you just need to stop that yeah what is it stay in your lane <laughs> like, and like be inclusive yeah pushing out of other groups of people and like making them more and more marginalized i think that a lot of times with like like, black queer women and black queer feminism is just correct. It's correct. That's it. <laughs> That's just period of my statement. And I think that they're not listened to, like, nearly enough. Like, if we just listen to more black queer people, I promise the world would just be so be much better. better. Like, I swear, black and indigenous people, like, I noticed that I, oh, I'm going to forget this girl's name. Greta. Greta. I'm so sorry. Gertwig? Gertwig. I don't know if that's really your name, sweetheart, but I hope it is. Um, she is like she is a young climate change activist, right? And people give her so much praise and all these different things, and it's like Greta Thunberg. Thunberg, we were wrong. Um, all these different forms of praise, but like when she gets a lot of that praise because she's white and she only talks about like the more surface level parts of like climate change, like the earth is dying, you need to help fix it. Whereas, like, the black and indigenous people who are talking, and the youth specifically that are talking about climate change, are also talking about the stealing of indigenous lands. They're talking about um, gentrification. It's directly affecting and, like, them. Yeah, and, like, air pollution and all these different things. They're also talking about those things, and that's not palatable to other people. They just, like, climate change is something they can digest that's easy for them. Mm-hmm. But interacting with how their racism has a mm. racism affects climate change, yeah. yeah, makes them uncomfortable because they have to realize that we should invite them on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> so this makes you uncomfortable. Let's unpack. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I think that palatability is that a word? Palatability. Palatability. It is now. Okay, correct. Words are created from minds, and that's (laughs) how they become words. (laughs) We already started talking about different social movements. Are there ones that mean a lot to you, or like historical activist figures? So, I really enjoy um, specifically how printmaking has influenced, like, social movements. That's kind of, like, what my background has been in in art. And just kind of, like, especially with the concept that, like, being out in these protests is very, like, taxing. Especially it's very ableist, like, depending on, like, what your capabilities are, what, like, um, like resources you have. Like, that's taking time out of your day and stuff like that. So, when a lot of, like, um, when printmaking got introduced into, like, social movements... Uh, there was a school in France that literally just took over like the book art school and just started making protest posters against like the regime in France at the time and kind of like how this opened up a new avenue for like other people whose voices weren't necessarily being heard to kind of like put information out there in a very easily and accessible way and I thought that was like a very important moment in like social justice movement the power yeah it's called the democratic medium because like everyone is able to receive like the same information at a more accessible rate so i i think that definitely like influences how we see it today and how it translated into like social media culture and stuff yeah absolutely i also think about people who like i love looking into like uh archival things Mm. i could honestly just sit there and like in a museum forever like any kind of a social justice related museum like please like just leave me <laughs> i want to can't hang for at least two days <laughs> like i love looking at old forms of art and old words that were written and really learning more about the historical context um of a lot of social movement history is so important y'all shout out to anyone who majored in history in college mm-hmm. is a historian now has any sort of a career surrounding in history because that shit is hard especially if you're decolonizing that work if you're one of those ones who are contributing to white supremacist history i don't really care about you mm-hmm. but um <laughs> that like decolonizing that work like holocaust historians are the one who stepped forward when people were saying that the ice detention centers are not concentration camps and like several hundreds and Japanese Americans too. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, several hundreds of historians who studied um, Japanese, um, not internment, incarceration. incarceration. Thank you. And um, the Holocaust were like, no, this is a concentration camp, and we know because we studied concentration camps, and what you're doing here is wrong. And like historians bring so much context mm-hmm. to what has happened and like without historians and people keeping up with like queer history and black history and those people who really did that work like i'm thankful like every single day that like someone kept records of the things that we have because those of us who want to do real activism wouldn't be able to do what we can do because we wouldn't know what they did does that make sense Mm -hmm. i actually think um one of the reasons Stonewall is seen as a catalyst of the queer liberation movement is because it was so well documented in the media compared to... Because there had been riots, but way before that. Yeah. Police have been raiding queer spaces since, like, queer spaces and police, and police systems have existed. Yeah. And so, like the, like, the fact that people documented it and, like, stayed kind of... Like, they, they commemorated the riots the next year is kind of why it has been seen as a catalyst. But, like, it shouldn't be seen as, like, the moment. Because yeah, it was like, a moment, not, like, yes. the moment, you know? Fun fact, I was born on the anniversary of Stonewall. Gay destiny. Gay destiny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it is really harmful, actually, when we talk about Stonewall being, like, the first thing that queer people did and, like, that was towards, like, their mm-hmm. liberation. It's really harmful because we're erasing so many things. Mm-hmm. Compton's Cafeteria. Yes. That's what I was trying to remember. Um, Compton Caf- Compton's Cafeteria, right? The riot. Uh, yeah, Compton's Cafeteria, which happened in the 50s, no? Uh, 1960, 1966. In 1966. Okay, Me, a history <laughs> <laughs> No, but things happened in the 50s, too, so. Things did happen in the 50s. I think a lot about, have y'all heard of the Johns Committee before? Yes. Um, so it was this committee of... I think you told me about it. Probably. I talk about it a lot Mm -hmm. because it's very upsetting Mm -hmm. to me. I finally saw the PBS documentary about it. 
Um, but it is a committee that was first founded to punish FAMU for being a part of the bus boycotts um, because Tallahassee was one of the major areas that had bus boycotts. Um, and FAMU were, the students of FAMU were an active participant in that. And then it turned into the punishing of queer people in universities and in the public, mostly the public sector, but the president of the University of Florida is the only university president that went along with this committee and they would interrogate queer people for hours. They would have like informants that were other students and other professors and stuff like that and so that they could um, figure out who was gay and who wasn't gay and all these different things. A lot of people dropped out. Some people um, attempted suicide and like it was just really, really intense, and I just often think about how that is what the people who did activism before us, like, lived through before they, mm-hmm. before they became, like, activists. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's wild to me. Like, I, I don't know, like, even though progress isn't linear, but, um, you know, we do have some things, a lot of things better than we did before, and I think that that, you know was what made me proud to be queer so like doing mm-hmm. queer activism just feels natural to me but I recognize for some other people like that was a really big struggle to just even exist as a queer person and that's why it's hard for me to like because the queer ancestors they're gonna disappoint you sometimes but at the same time it's like I I can't even be mad because like you went through some serious shit yeah. and like you're just tired and you're just bitter and like I see you and like I can't I just like I don't know. It's like, what are you gonna do? They they like lived through the struggle, so we didn't have to, and so now they're just bitter old queers. And what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the same with a lot of other like. I think the same thing with like older black folks. We're like, yeah, we're settling for a lot of these things, and like, they're like, well, we want better, and they're like, well, you just need to sit down and <laughs> calm down. <laughs> oh no, but yeah, a lot of that kind of goes back to even in Venezuela, like how people are just kind of like this isn't gonna change so we're just gonna be used to it and like people now are still just like not going to the street well like Venezuela is its own personal subject but like mm. people are still like not going to the streets just because they feel like it's a pointless cause and like they're just kind of like these bitter old people who are just like yeah we're just gonna write this out until the next president comes and it's just like things like processes could happen we don't have to be like stationary or like plateau just because we got comfortable with like minute amounts of change what are some things that you think about with like social movements now like what are the ones that you really connect to and what are the ones that you feel really inspired by stuff like that. i feel like something it's not a movement um i'm necessarily affected by but i'm really inspired by everyone in the um like disability rights i don't is that the yeah. correct, like disability rights movement just because it's something I'm constantly learning from and it's like a movement that's like constantly silenced and constantly not recognized mm-hmm. and something that I think people need to just pay attention and learn more from especially there's a lot of queer people who are like in this movement trying to like get the word out and I think there's a lot of people in activist spaces who don't understand the how important accessibility is like physical accessibility in spaces and also just like like conceptually just like using language that everybody understands um it's so important and like if you're not following like disabled like people with disabilities who are activists on social media like you need to get on it like right now yesterday actually yesterday actually (laughs) i'm just gonna shout out um annie elaney because she's a queer disabled person who i who like i'm like mutuals with who's like a really good person to be following reproductive justice and black lives matter or healthcare justice really specifically reproductive justice. Um, I am a disabled person, very proudly so, but you know, the healthcare system just keeps fucking me over time and time again. And I've said this before, like the healthcare system is con- um, committing manslaughter, like just all of the time because they are just complacent. Like how many people, um, how many stories have you heard of like a diabetic person rationing out their insulin and ending up dying because of that and because their insulin is too expensive like it doesn't need to be that way like these pharmaceutical companies and all these different things are really profiting profiting off of people's lives deaths little deaths and it's just disgusting um 
reproductive justice is like a movement I've really looked into the history of as well like the sexual revolution is something that I find very very fascinating um I do think we need a second sexual revolution but we'll talk about that another time (laughs) um the sexual revolution is something that was really important to me because I think that it just allowed for so much freedom for so many people just to exist like um it also helped bring awareness to sexual violence and domestic violence and um, made things like marital rape illegal and was just very very important in like the sexual revolution like and how the reproductive justice movement was a part of the sexual revolution um is very interesting to me and like now the way reproductive health is more focused or and reproductive justice is focused on like people's sexual expression and their just right to be a sexual person and how that that is something that is within themselves and their business is something that's really cool to me as well as like the ownership of bodies and reproductive justice is a little different than like just your regular reproductive health rights because reproductive justice was invented by women of color specifically black women um and the concept is like not only the right to not have a child or a family but the right to have a family and to raise that family in a healthy environment because black and brown women for so long have been sterilized have been abused by the reproductive health um companies and different things like that so that is just like super super important to me as being a part of that movement and then black lives matter is i think it's so beautiful to see a movement that was just built from love like the hashtag black lives matter come from three black women and um what they were doing was after the verdict on Trayvon Martin's case is they just were tagging black people that they know and they were saying that they loved them and they cared about them and like their black life mattered I think that is just one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life um was it from Harry Potter the weapon we have is love the weapon we have is love did Dumbledore say that I don't know who said it but it was cute it was. <laughs> Dumbledore didn't have no love. Let's not. I don't yeah, think he was, deserves that. I don't think he deserves that. I'm not talking about Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> I don't want to deal with him. <laughs> A later time. A later time. Um, but yeah, I think that those are like movements that I'm constantly inspired by and like are constantly doing so, so much. Like, I remember when activists in Ferguson's shut down. Um, Ferguson is where Mike Brown was killed. Um, they shut down the freeway, like, with, like, a human chain, and, um, people were just like, well, they're interrupting my space, and, um, and this is so disruptive, and da-da-da-da, and I was like, what type of protests work for you, then? Because you have a problem when we riot, you have a problem when we're hashtagging on social media, you have a problem with everything, and, like, the thing is, is in years from now, these things will be glorified as these beautiful moments in history, and by the same people who were shitting on these people for trying to like you're in our way people are dying kim like kim. <laughs> you need to get over it um the biggest ones that i've just kind of followed especially are like the undocumented um folks right now in the states that's kind of like especially just with like the ice like detention camps um i've had family that's personally been in like some of those camps so that like that crisis has kind of affected me and so just seeing especially how like um undocumented first generation and just latinx folks in general have been handling that movement has been kind of like one of my favorite things just because of like the ways that it's been approached because fighting like the government's its own thing (laughs) so as most like people could tell um and seeing how like this movement has been expressed through like art through videos and like kind of just how accessible like these things have been just because like obviously we're not going to get information straight from the government so how do you release information in a way that everyone can still like absorb the message and see what's going on so like especially with venezuela too like a lot of the stuff has been resorted to like social media like protesting and like activism online just so like that message is available because otherwise it wouldn't be like you wouldn't hear about like how many kids are being kept in cages and like stuff like that yeah and what the people that are keeping them in cages are doing because that's some really horrific stuff yeah and that's kind of why like 
history has been like its own battle especially with just like the erasure of certain aspects of it or like the dilution of like how bad things have been so like oral history has been like one of my favorite subjects to study in general just because it's such a raw and like unfiltered version of history that you're truly getting like what the experience was like at the time in a very like not necessarily conventional way but one that speaks very like much so to like how the time was and like kind of the severity of the situation yeah. I mean, I think oral history is also super important to lots of communities that just like, even when they wrote it down, wrote things down, it was burned. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you have, yeah. literally, oral history is like the only way that you can like carry on your history to your, the next generation sometimes. Yeah. That's, especially with like um, the queer movement, like that's been like one of the biggest ways that like a lot of this history has been passed down. And like pretty much up until Stonewall, I'm pretty sure it was like the only time that we actually had like documentation of like these kinds of activist movements happening so i think something that gets often misconstrued within social movements is like the concept of quote-unquote intersectionality and like what it really means i think a lot of people like throw it around as like a buzzword and how people don't really understand that like how people's oppression really meets at some crossroads which i don't think is that difficult of a concept to grasp but apparently it is (laughs) Two identities at once? That's a lot to handle. <laughs> a lot. Sometimes it's three. Well, three? Is that allowed? <laughs> yeah, or four. <laughs> um, I think something that I think when it comes to an intersecting oppression is like people experiencing homelessness and people with disabilities, specifically mental illness. Like a lot of people who have psychotic disorders, so people who have extreme paranoia or they have hallucinations and stuff like that, oftentimes end up experiencing homelessness because they didn't have the mental health resources that they needed Mm -hmm. and if they had they'd probably be in a much better situation um and i think a disability activism is just something that's very important to me and i think that people don't realize the intersection of disability with like Everything. everything like when people talk about police brutality people with disabilities are more likely to be assaulted by the police add that onto a black identity um when we're talking about Things like rights to work and women having a hard time getting a right to work if you're a disabled person and you're trying to work or a person with a disability and you're trying to work. I think that like just all these intersections that we sit at, um, but it's not just like, I think that people forget that intersectionality is specifically about oppression. It's not really about like your feelings, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like it's not really about like your, it's not really supposed to be about like individuals and like the way that they make up it's supposed to be about like their interlocking oppression Mm -hmm. well i was thinking of like movements that are important to me for me it's not just like movements it's how they intersect is what is most important to me or like seeing that like who i mentioned kiyoshi kuromiya probably like the gay grandpa i think i deserve um Mm -hmm. he he's like he was an asian american japanese american um activist who he, uh, this is just my session of talking about him. I just need you to understand. He like he like was born in a Japanese incarceration camp, and like he dedicated his whole life to making sure that people lived just lives. And he um, he was very involved in uh, the civil rights movement. Actually, I think he was involved with the Black Panthers. Um, he was like an openly gay member of the Black panther caucus it was a very long name i can't remember but he was involved and he i'm pretty sure he was like he marched in selma he like as i said he was um a confidant of martin luther king jr he also did a lot of hiv and uh, aids activism and accessibility was super important to him he started um this project called the critical path project which um, was influenced by his work with ACT UP, which was like an LGBT um, activism group. And he basically wanted to make HIV and AIDS information available to everyone in any way he could. And so he would go to these conferences right, um, that were centered on like health and HIV-related issues, and he'd write it all down, and he'd made these pamphlets, called it was, which were essentially the critical path. And he would make sure that everyone could access it. So he like would send them to prisons so people who were incarcerated could access them. He would literally set up internet hotspots so people could get them online. Like he was like, you can't access it. I'm gonna make sure you can. Like it was very important to him that everyone could have information about HIV and AIDS because it was 
and this was in the 80s and so obviously like people were dying and he was yeah. like i need people to understand that this is an issue that's affecting my community and he also did a lot of anti-vietnam uh, war activism and he's like i don't think it makes sense that you're going over there and killing people not like for no reason um and so he was just involved in every... Oh, oh also, Kuromiya versus the United States. He was like, why isn't marijuana legal? I would like to know. Like, he was in... Like, if there was a thing happening, he was there. And yet, we don't even know about it. We don't even know about people like him and, and popular when we talk about activism and, like, in, in the like in a larger context like people like him are left out a lot of the time because of their marginalized identities and because we just don't we just have a tendency to erase people that shouldn't be and um so when people lie at the intersections like that and including people like Bayard Rustin who was at the crux of a lot of important things we can talk about him there's actually a lot of podcasts about him I will recommend um okay. <laughs> some episodes that you could check out um, there's a lot of people who are kind of at the intersections of a lot of movements who are either left out because they weren't seen as pal palatable or they weren't seen as someone who could lead that I think inspired me the most. Yeah. That's beautiful, Pat. What are ways that people can do activism and social justice and stuff like that? I think the most common like way that people think of is like politics and nonprofit work. Which I'm like, those aren't the two ways me wants to go into nonprofit work, but whatever. Um, that doesn't mean they're not important, but like those aren't like the only ways that you could be a part of like justice. I think that like people feel like if they're not doing like those two things, then they can't really be a part or like be a part of like a social enterprise or something like that. Then they can't be a part of justice. But what are some ways that y'all think of? Um, well, especially with art, I feel like it's one of the ways that, like, activism has kind of, like, started in some ways, um, just with kind of what, especially with galleries being such a, like, white male-dominated spaces, um, so bringing art into that context that, like, talks about issues that don't necessarily affect them, but affect communities around them makes it more visible. So, like, one of my favorite examples is, um, Felix Gonzalez-Torres, who is an HIV and AIDS activist. Um, an artist and did a lot of pieces about how his partner was passing away due to like AIDS complications. Like Candy is one of my favorite pieces. The uh, or the clocks. The, the portrait of two lovers, and then the mm. Candy one is um, a portrait of, and it was the name of his partner at the time, which I'm forgetting. But I have a tattoo of both of them, and um, so good. That man has done so much for me. Um, but just like that kind of visibility at the intersection, especially as being a Latinx man in like Miami, Florida at the time, like kind of like how these issues affect you and kind of how, what context you put them in and just like how you make this information available to everyone and him talking about it in just like a poetic way made it so like this concept's easily understood understood by like no matter what like identity you have or don't have like it's just like people are literally dying and withering away and this is in your face now it's in your face i love that about art i think media is super important to me um, and the way that things are represented, like, I have seen the L word, <laughs> I love the L word, but that is such a sad representation, the new one comes out December 8th, but that's such a sad representation, like, the biphobia in the L word was rampant, the transphobia in the L word was rampant, like, the racism, the racism, <laughs> oh my god, homegirl was super racist, what was her name, Bet's partner, Tina, Tina was upset that her wife wanted to have a black baby. And I was like, your wife is black. I don't understand. Tina. Tina, please. Collect yourself. <laughs> Collect yourself. But yeah. Are we going to talk about media? Because the euphoria is about to like get yeah. out of my mouth. You can just start talking about euphoria. <laughs> well, I think media is like incredibly important. This is just like my entire grad personal statement. I could just like recite it. Um, <laughs> because like, especially now when we're like glued to our phones, like what we consume is what we see. It's like how we understand the world. And um, if if the only representation we see of like a certain group of people is, oh, these group of people are terrorists. These group of people are like threatening our women. Like that's what, and, and you're not part of that community. You don't see, you don't, see those people like that's how you see them like that's how you understand a certain group of people like I 
I was, you know, I was on Twitter, and of course, I got upset about something I saw, because that's what Twitter does. I saw, like, this bit um, on South Park of, like, this trans woman who was, like, in a race, and the whole joke was that, yeah, we should include trans people, but this person decided she was trans two weeks ago, and so she has a natural um, uh, advantage over me. And I was like, that is just such a siloed, one-dimensional, like, example. That's not even how, like, trans athletes, trans women in athletics go through so much just to exist in that field, in that sphere of, like, of an entire sport. And, like, you cannot even begin. And, like, that is, like, South Park, that is catered to a very specific group of people who otherwise really don't see trans people in public. And so when you see... When your only perception of a group of people is as a joke or as a tragedy, like, if that's your only perception, that's how you understand them. And so, like, when you see those people in your life, you can only see them as that. And that's why I think media is super important and why <clears throat> euphoria is just, like, a great... <laughs> um, euphoria is just one of my favorite, like, pieces of media right now because... There's a lot of different intersections that happen in that show, but specifically the trans representation is so important. It's just this trans person who gets to be trans, but that's not that's not her story, even though some people maybe want that to happen in the show, like characters within the show. But she gets to be a messy teenager, just like everybody else. And it's a show that's not necessarily... Like, there's shows like Tales of the City that is made for the gays. Pose, made for the gays, you know, made for trans people. And... Like, you know that straight people aren't necessarily going to be watching it. Because, right. you know, the straights, they don't know what they're doing. But, you know, like, a show like Euphoria, which is really catered to a very large audience, you know that people are going to see it, and they're going to see that trans character, and they're going to have a better understanding, at least a little bit, of trans people. Yeah. Um, so that's that on that. I could talk more about Euphoria, but we're going to run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Pat loves Euphoria, like, a lot, a lot. Understand. If you didn't know. <laughs> So good. I love that example, especially when it comes to like um, Cutie Pock, like specifically getting that like side of representation is something that hasn't been seen like ever. So like with my favorite example is Juan Inez, um, a queer Catholic nun in um, Spanish colonized Mexico in the 1600s, um, got her love letters to the queen at the time published. And now there's a whole like series on Netflix about her that doesn't erase her queerness, which made my heart so happy with not one, but two of the queens. Mm. Like, I love that. And it's just like, you find, and especially within the religious context, which is such a, like a big deal for Latinx folks, like getting to see queerness in such a, like a quote unquote, like palatable frame, even though she was an activist at her time and is considered the 10th muse and um, the first, considered to have written the first feminist manifesto, too. We the love power. It. Just the, the power queer power. <laughs> the lesbian space magic. It's <laughs> <laughs> so powerful. And, like, her activism wasn't necessarily just, like, the most conventional sense of activism, but it was making sure that her poems got published at the time, which was as a woman, a queer woman, and a queer Latinx woman at the time, like, just that in and of itself is its own form of visibility and activism, and, like, God yeah. bless. God we bless. truly stand. We do. I think also people who want to be doctors, I hate doctors. Anyone who knows me knows that I hate doctors, because they're trash, and we don't, we aren't honest enough, again, to talk about how trash doctors are, because a lot of them got into the field because they wanted to make money. Not because they actually gave a fuck about people. Or have empathy. Or have <laughs> empathy. Or maybe medical school made them dark. I don't know. I don't care. They still need to be better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that people who want to go to doctors, people who want to do different... I don't... I have a lot of feelings about the legal system. Like, you can't, like, just try to Kamala out here. <laughs> and <laughs> say that you made things better. I have a hard time people who want to be prosecutors... But I'm sure that there is a way to do that in, like, an activist sense. There are certain things that, like, certain systems that, like, obviously, like, some people have to work in corporate America, but, like, thinking about the type of corporations you're in being involved in, like, if you're working for, like, higher level of Amazon, like, what can you really do to, like, unless you're getting these workers paid and, like, all these different things, like, you have to be, like, I've... I think that there's, like, this common saying that, like, everyone can be an activist. 
And like, yes, you can. I truly believe that in the deepest part of my heart. You also have to put in the work mm-hmm. to be an activist. Like, you can't just, like, care. You can't just wear the buttons. You can't just yeah. wear the buttons <laughs> on your jean jacket. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to actually like do something like whether that's reallocating your money, whether that's um, funding someone's education. You could there's just so many things you could do mm-hmm. um, to like be an activist and like to really create change. But like you have to want to do it and mm-hmm. you have to like understand that it's going to be difficult and messy and like it's going to cost you a lot. But like people are dying people are dying um and i think that that's really important to remember is that like there are some things that are just bigger than you other ways that people can engage in activism i think it just works on like a like there are two ways you can go for like the normal like i'm going to change these laws i'm going to apply like whatever i can to like create change within the system that already exists or even just like applying social change to like a local level and seeing like what's what can you do within like your own spaces to like further that change so whether it be just holding people accountable to like their own shitty behaviors or their own like toxic like ass behavior that they exhibit on a daily basis or just creating that visibility that exists on a local level definitely like impacts at least somewhat the yeah. general time yeah i think there's this idea that you have to want to like change like you have to change the world yeah no. and you don't have to do that so much it is so much no one can do that by themselves and like not everything is going to be perfect i think people there's there's like in like social activism circles there's like this competition to be the best not yeah. e- like not even co- consciously consciously people like they want to be at all the protests, they want to be at all the rallies, they want to, like, not that you can't or you shouldn't, but, like, they think that if they're not doing what activism is supposed to look like, that they're not doing enough. Yeah. And I think people really underestimate the power of just, like, making space for people. Like, that is, making space for people, whether it's just, like, on a personal level or, you know, doing what Lena Waithe is doing, bringing all the queer people of color into every production she does, she's, like, that's what she's, like making space for people is incredibly important and it's not something that I think is really honored enough. Yeah. Um, I think radical love is also a form mm. of change and like radical love for other people and radical love for yourself, which again, hard work, not easy. Mm. You have to be willing to do the work. Um, cause sometimes the thing that is the most powerful is people being their authentic selves mm-hmm. and just creating a world and space for people to do that. I think is super important. Alright, do you all have any closing thoughts? Read your queer history, please. Read your everything Add your history. everything history. <laughs> Maybe I'll start tweeting out books and movies and things. Yes. Would you all want to see that? Tell me. Slide in my DMs. <laughs> um, just believe people when they tell you things sometimes, especially if they're sharing that identity and from the group that is in question or being discussed. Like, I hate the erasure of people's voices just because you think you studied something does not mean you are the say-all and all. Yeah. Especially people who have degrees. Mm. Y'all think that, that you elitism. can just... <laughs> yeah, that elitism. That idea that you think you can just, like tell anyone about their culture and their history because mm-hmm. we read some books. Get the fuck out of my face. I also think, like, maybe one of the reasons people think social justice is, like, a young people's issue is because a lot of educated people in social justice circles kind of don't know how to, like, relax sometimes with their language that they're using. They're using very complicated language to talk about big issues sometimes. And, you know, if someone's just trying to learn, they might feel really intimidated by what you're saying and they might feel like they're saying the wrong thing. And you have to really... Not like, not that you have to like dilute what you're saying, but like you have to really be open to their questions and understand that people are, might say the wrong thing sometimes. And you have to be really like sit down and give them the space to learn because they, you were at a point in your life where you were messy and someone gave you the space and time to help you grow and you have to do that for other people. Yeah. No, yeah, making the language a lot more accessible, I feel like, is just, like, one of the easiest steps, as opposed to making it, like, this badge that you hold over mm-hmm. someone else that's, yeah. like, I am the authority figure mm-hmm. on this, and you being wrong will end your life. <laughs> yeah. I have a habit, even on the podcast, I'm working on it, y'all, of using, like, buzzwords. I say, like, white supremacist patriarchy, like, a lot. <laughs> 
because fuck the white supremacist patriarchy. Right. But I realize I haven't really defined those terms and stuff mm. like that. We are going to have a whole episode about decolonizing, which is going to be great. But um, I definitely am kind of a part of that problem. It's sometimes my language. Like, I have a degree, and my degree was... I specifically chose my degree so I could study social inequality as much as possible. And so I have to really think about the fact that I've had hours and hours... It was literally... Part of my curriculum. Curriculum. <laughs> What's to study curriculum. social inequality? Curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> to study social inequality, and so I just have to remember that that's really present in my conversations, and that's something that I have to factor in when I'm talking to other people, and when I'm giving grace to other people as well. I my closing thought is that. I think that we are all strong, beautiful, capable people and that we have the power to make the media that we want to see, the art we want to see, to make the world that we want to see, the policy changes and the cultural shifts that need to happen. I believe that we really truly have the power to do that and it's just a matter of us figuring out the best way for us to do that for ourselves. So I encourage you to sit and reflect and really figure out what you can do to make this world better because that is your responsibility all right thank you so much pat and gino for being here where can the people find you um you can find this is pat you can find me on instagram at higashi underscore pat or twitter at kageshima do you want to spell that (laughs) you know i got a degree in communications what was it for it is k-a- G A Y S H I M A. Okay. And I'm Gino. You can follow me on Insta at Gino Romero dot art, G A N O R O M E dot R O dot art, or on Twitter at Young Chisme, um, Young without the O. God bless. God bless. Well, thank you all so much for being here. If you have any questions, make sure to DM us at us uncomfortable on Twitter and Instagram. You can email me at thismakesusuncomfortable at gmail. Other than that, I hope you all have a beautiful day. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.